You ready? I hope you're ready, because I'm ready. <laughs> I want to thank all of you uh, for praying this week for us. For those of you who don't know, it's been a real bugger of a week. Uh, Janet's father had a heart attack last Sunday, and uh, he has already had three, so this was his fourth. And uh, 40% of his heart is already dead, and they told him the next one he had, he'd be dead. But he made it through. I told him he's just too stubborn to leave. But uh, Janet really felt the burden to go out there, and so she has been out there since Tuesday. And so I've had the four of them, and been at home and trying to bring do work at home while we take care of them and uh, it's just been a difficult week so I, I thought kind of what I do is stand up here today and sort of illustrate what my week has been like you know we'll ask for an interpreter close in prayer and we'll go home <laughs> the Friedman family has a large black cat named Whiskers. As I was hauling the babes around with me this week, Morgan looked over at Whiskers and she said, Ah, Poppy, look at Whiskers laying in the leaves. And I said, Yeah, that Ica is a silly cat. And she said, Poppy, his name's not Ica. Why do you call him Ica? And I said, Because you used to call him that when you were little. And she said, Yes. But I don't call him Ica anymore. Now I call him Whiskers, because I all growed up. <laughs> and I chuckled and I said to her, yeah, you all growed up all right. I share that with you because as I meditated this week over what we've been looking at in the good news of John, I really see that conversation Morgan and I had as illustrative as a commentary on the church. Think about it. We start off in the Christian life as a babe. We really don't know much beyond Jesus. And then what happens is we get a little knowledge. We get enough knowledge to become dangerous to ourselves and to others because we learn to depend upon what we know instead of who we know. And just like Morgan, we begin to correct others with what we know. When if we look at the lives, it's plain and manifest that there's a lot more we don't know than what we know. Does that make sense to you? I hope you heard the key word, is, is what we know. And I will share with you that what we know is important. If it weren't important, I'd be out of a job. Because what we do is we stand up here and, and teach what we know. But we do so with a purpose, with a goal, and that is to lead us to a who. The what is so very important. This book is so very, very important. But it is only important insofar as it fulfills its intended purpose, which is to lead us to a who, to a person. I put it to you this way. The Christian life is not principles, it's a person. The Christian life is not doctrine. It is the divine God who lives in us and through us through the glory of the new covenant that he has established in Jesus Christ. 
That is the truth of John chapter 15, the truth that you and I have been looking at for the last several weeks. And I'd like you to open your Bibles because we're going to continue that today. We've spent the last three weeks in introduction, laying the groundwork for the study. And I would tell you that we're going to continue the introduction today. But this will be the final piece of introduction. And next time we're together, we'll tear into the passage itself because the background, I believe, will have been laid. In three weeks, we've seen three truths. The first one was that Jesus is the true vine. Shocking revelation to the nation of Israel. Because throughout the Old Testament, Israel was seen as the vine. But Israel was the vine only in the sense that it was intended by God to be the great missionary effort. In that it was intended to lead people to God. But Jesus is himself God. He is himself is the true life source for all men. And so he calls attention to himself as the only source of life. He then said, and we saw secondly, that Father is the vine dresser. What an exciting truth that was. As we saw, yeah, as we saw that Father is the caretaker of the vineyard. And the greatest care of a vineyard is in the pruning of it. The pruning away of dead branches, but also the pruning away, we saw, of good branches. Branches that are indeed bearing fruit. And we said the Father will come to our lives with His divine hand that holds a knife. And He will cut away even good things in our lives in order to produce a more abundant harvest in us. It's a great truth, isn't it? It really is when you understand it and embrace His purpose. He wants to produce more and more and more. We saw that it was much it was fruit, more fruit, and then much fruit. Well, we said, well, what in the world then is the fruit? And that's what we saw last time together. That the fruit is not evangelism. It's not new converts. But that the fruit that he was talking about was the life of God produced in a man. Love, joy, and peace were found in this passage. And that's a divine hint, isn't it? Love, joy, peace. It's the way that uh, Galatians chapter 5 begins. With the fruit of the Spirit. So what God wants to do, Tom, is He wants to take Jesus' life and He's going to use you as a branch. And when you connect to Jesus, you will be connected to the source of life. And the goal is that Jesus would then reproduce His own life in and through your life as you abide in Him. Isn't that a glorious truth? Yes, it is. It is so glorious. Like Norman shared this morning, he didn't have the patience for his kids. He doesn't have the kindness for his bride that he needs to have or wants to have. And see, what happens is if we sincerely try to have those things in our own strength, we'll never get there. But God Himself will provide His own patience, and His patience is enough, isn't it? And He'll provide His own kindness in and through you, and His kindness is enough. And so it's a glorious, glorious truth. We would put it this way, the Christian life is in fact a supernatural life. It's supernatural love, supernatural gentleness, supernatural kindness. This is the old truth way back in Genesis. Do you remember that kind produces kind? That is a very simple truth. And you all know it. If you take a dog and a dog and you put them together, what are you going to get? You're going to get a dog. You're not going to get a cat. Kind produces kind. Now that's a frightening truth when the two of you look at yourselves in the mirror as a husband and a wife. Because you're going to produce one that looks just like you and acts just like you. Wow. 
Well, my friends, it's the same with God. It's the old, old truth, and it's true not only in the physical world with dogs and cats and things like that, but it's true in the spiritual life. Turn over to John chapter 3. Keep your finger here. We'll be right back. But John chapter 3. And, and everybody in this passage with Nicodemus always focuses on the fact of being born again. Verse 3. Or born of the water and the Spirit. But those are not really the keys to this passage. The key is actually found in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, you can take a man and make him religious, and what do you get? A religious man. But it ain't God, people. Man cannot produce God. It's that simple. Just like a dog and a dog aren't going to produce a cat, you take a man and let him have his best efforts of trying to be like God, and you're still going to have man. What man produces is a man product. What God produces is a God product. It's that simple. And so what we have in the New Covenant is what I would call a God-centered gospel. And many of you today in our share time, we're sharing that. Pam shared that. Renee shared that. Norman shared that. It's all Christ. It's all Christ. You see, in, in the God-centered gospel, God saves the whole man. Say, so what do you mean by that, Frank? The Greek word sozo doesn't mean just saved from judgment, saved from sin, saved from condemnation, or saved from hell. The Greek word sozo means to make whole again. I like that. I want to be whole again, don't you? I want all the fractured feelings and the fractured thinking to become whole again. The way it was intended by God in the initial creation of man. Wonderful. So God not only saves man from his sin, he saves man from himself, from the way that he lives. Unfortunately, though, my friends, in the church, that's not the message. In the church in this country, in the church around the world, that is not the message. In the church, largely, God has saved man from his sin, but man saves man from himself with his own effort and with God's help. My friends, I don't want you to take my word for that. I want to offer just, just three simple supports to show you how this works. In the church, largely, the Bible is viewed as a self-help book. I shared this illustration with you years and years ago. And I've shared it with you even a couple of times, but I, it's so powerful. There it is. Do you see it? The Christian's life support system. And what is it? It's the wonderful God-breathed Bible, according to that illustration. My friends, I love the Word of God. And I thank God for giving us His Word. Because as I read His Word, it leads me to Him in an intimate relationship. But He is the one who gives life, not a written word. This is one of, from one of the largest producers of Sunday school material in this country. For those who are not here by tape, it's very simple. We've got an astronaut on the moon, and he's got his oxygen suit, but the backpack is the Holy Bible. We don't get life out of a word, a written word, my friends. John 1, verses 4 and 5, where is life found? 
in him was life. Right? I have come, John 10, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Right? He is the life. And so what really this should be is Jesus. And he ought to be holding a Bible in his hands. See, what did Jesus say in John 5.39? You search the Scriptures because you think that in them are eternal life. But I tell you the truth. They do not give life. They lead you to me, Jesus said, and I give life. And it's so unfortunate when you teach this message, you get criticized for degrading the Bible. We're not degrading the Bible at all. Good night, my friends. What do I teach from every Sunday? Dr. Seuss? We break open the Word of God, but we're using it correctly to lead us to God. Never to lead us to the book as an end in itself. May I give you a second support? I found a book this week as I was studying... And this book is written by one of the most prolific authors and teachers in our country. If I shared with you his name, you would know it instantaneously. I'm not going to share the name because I'm not into it. I don't want to attack the man. I love the man. I have profited from the man. The man has taught me much. But he wrote a book about growing really deep in the Christian life and really coming to know God and really coming to walk with God. So what's the context? Let's really get after it with God. And he talked in the book about the death of Jesus Christ. And he talked about our sin problem. See, And he talked about the church. But do you know what was missing? This is all the scripture references, my friends, that were in the book. And what I want you to focus on is right there. Can you all see that? Well, we're in the Gospel of John right there, and we're chapter 14... And then very, very conspicuously, we move to chapter 16. If you're going to talk about the Christian life, and how to walk it, and how to grow deep in it, why would you leave out John chapter 15? It's the apex of new covenant understanding. It's the marching orders of Jesus Christ. He's got just a couple of hours till he's arrested. Just about 13 hours till he's dead. And he's given the marching orders to his saints. And he says, without me, you can do, say it, nothing. And yet here in a book on how to live the Christian life, it's not even mentioned. That's tragedy. And it's rampant, my friend. It's all over. Let me share with you a letter from John Miller. John used to be in this assembly, and he found this and sent it to me. A note that was written to him from a friend of his. And this is what he wrote. And I'm just going to paraphrase, not paraphrase, but highlight some of the points of the letter. Just listen. Dear John, this is a note I wrote to a friend. May you be encouraged and pointed to our only source of life, Jesus. To me, the central idea is not so much to let go and let God, but to realize and accept that life is from Jesus. We were not created to be independent, self-contained persons. We were meant to run on the life of Jesus. The major issue of salvation is life, and Jesus is the life. He did not give us His life to see what we would do with it. He wants to live His life in us. 
This full gospel is firmly rooted in the person of Jesus. He says, I have been reading a certain book, and again, different author. If I said his name, you would know it in a minute. But it's not the issue. I love this man. I know him personally. And he has so ministered to me in my walk with God. But he's missing it. I'm nearly half done with the book and I'm not aware yet that he has talked about Jesus. His premise is that the Christian life is knowing and doing the Bible. Did you hear that? His premise is that the Christian life is knowing the, and doing the Bible. A premise held by the only ones that were ever confronted by Jesus Christ in his earthly life. Who were they? The Pharisees. I am convinced that Christianity, according to this author, and in fact according to most evangelicals, is something like this. That salvation cleans the slate from all of our past sins. That's where we start. And that's not bad, but it isn't complete either, because it's not just our past sins, it's what? Our future sins. That's right, it's over. Two, now I need to learn and to live correctly for God. Now, that's a true statement. The key issue is the method. How are we going to do that? Well, he goes on in the book to say this. He has left me principles in the Bible to accomplish living correctly for God. I must now learn and do the principles, and I need to ask God to help me do those principles. The writer goes on to say this. Show this to your Christian friends, and most likely they will amen it. But sadly, this kind of person does not even understand the very premise of Christianity. Sadly for this person, Jesus' life within is merely a remote doctrine among doctrines. That's why it's not heard. The Christian life is not learning to live for God. It is learning to let God restore His life in you. Paul said it best, for me to live is Christ. The Scriptures reveal Him, and then He empowers me to live. He is wisdom. He is truth. The whole purpose for my... My life in God is to restore a dependent, abiding relationship with Him. This is not a doctrinal squabble for me. This is life and death. I hope you understood what he meant. If you don't understand Christ in you, life in you, then you will minister what you have. And what you have in and of your own resources is death. You will be a menace to every human being you come in contact with. He continues, When I believe that Jesus is the source of life, then I can have joy, peace, and love, because it's His joy, His peace, and His love. Out of my heart will come the desire to please Him. Jesus said He did nothing of His own initiative, so we too must wait and let God bear the fruit in us. But sadly, we want to prove to others and prove to ourselves that we have life, so we're tempted to bear fruit in ourselves that we think we should be bearing. Powerful statement. I am not promoting idleness. God gives me the desire to do some things, and I do them. What I am promoting is living out from the heart that which God is working in me. Much of my past Christian experience was mostly doing things others thought I should be doing. How many of you can relate to that? They were even able to make me believe that these were things God wanted me to do. Well, now I am very busy with the things of God, but they are coming from within. I like that. 
The abiding life is hell to the flesh. See, I want to generate willpower. I want some credit. I want the glory of being wise. I want the pride of being right. But Jesus said, deny ourselves. So what then does work out your own salvation mean? Well, it means this. As you have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. So how do you walk? By faith. They said therefore to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Is that a question you want to ask? I hope it is. Don't you want to be about the glory of God, my friends? Don't you? If you don't want to be about the glory of God, then maybe you're not my brother. So this is a very important question. What must we do to work the works of God? What do I need to do to bring you glory, God? And listen to what Jesus' answer was. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him that God has sent. That's how you bring glory to God. You believe in Christ. Then, this is it. I work out my salvation by continuing to believe that Jesus is my salvation, but also that Jesus is my sanctification, my wisdom, my ableness, my strength, my kindness, my love, my mercy. Jesus is everything. He is my very life. Everything around me in the church is against this faith. I believe the Apostle Paul made it very clear. Please hear this. I believe the Apostle Paul made it very clear that the mortal enemy of the gospel is self-effort. That's a heavy statement, my friends. Can I illustrate it for you? This is largely what happens. Here I am as a branch. Jesus has died for me. I accept that. And now I try to live for the glory of God. Did you hear the key word? I try to live for the glory of God. And I live the Christian disciplines. That won't produce life. There is one command in John 15. That command is abide. And when you abide, what? then the life of God flows through you and naturally bears the fruit. That's what it's all about. The Christian life... What a novel idea. The Christian life is Jesus. See, my friends, I can't live the Christian life without God's help. How many of you know that? But how many of you know the second statement? I can't even live the Christian life with God's help. I can only live the Christian life as God lives it through me and I trust Him to do that by faith. He's the only one that ever did live the Christian life and He's the only one that can ever live it. If you and I could live the Christian life in our own resources, then Satan told the truth when he said we will be like God. And he's a liar. I can't be like God. And that is a death blow to the pride of man. And that is a death blow to self-effort in the church. And that's why this message irritates people. Because it stings their religious pride. But I lead Bible studies. But I preach sermons. But I memorize scripture. But I read my Bible every day. And to hear that all of that can count nothing, yeah, my friends, that can count nothing if it's not done in the power and in the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize it can be a sin to lead somebody to Christ? Because there's no even hint that you're going to be trusting God in that. You're just going to do it out of your own resources. And that person will get saved in spite of you. Incredible thing. We're going to talk more about that when we get to verses 2 through 6. Glorious, glorious truth. Well, how do I do it then? Paul said it in Colossians 1. I labor. Who does the laboring? We do. It's not passivity. I could sit here like this and say, Okay, God, I need to love Lottie. And if you look at Lottie, he's not so lovable sometimes. Right? Amen. Thank you. I was waiting for that. So I can say, Okay, God, love him through me. Come on, God, do it. What's going to happen? I'm going to go cobweb sitting here. I have to get up, go over, and love the man. But the whole time that I labor, what's going on? I labor according to His power, which works in me mightily. It's both and, not either or. See, self-effort says, I've got to go love Him. Passivity in the body of Christ says, Lord, you do it. Biblical truth, I go love Him, trusting by faith that God's loving Him through me. You say, well, how do you do that, Frank? What then is it, what does it mean then... This thing called abide. How do we do it? Isn't that what everybody wants to know? If abide then is the key word, how do we do it? That's what we want to focus on today. And how do we do it? Let me tell you something. We had Ian Thomas here years about three years ago. And Ian has been teaching the message of the New Covenant for 50 years. I don't know if there's anybody that teaches it better. When he was here, we had a little luncheon with the elders. And we had a Q&A time with him, just our own little intimate time. It was real neat. Because the elders and I, we really felt the need to just receive Christ from this man. And so I raised my hand. I said, Major, i got a question. I, we're teaching the message of the new covenant. Christ in you. Us in Christ. But inevitably, I have people come to me and say, What? How do you do it? I have people come to me and say, okay, I've come to understand that I've died in Christ, I'm righteous, I'm in Him, He's in me, I'm seated in the heavenlies. I've come to understand all that. Now, how do I live it? And he said, oh, the poor devils didn't understand it. I said, well, I can't say that to people. Can you imagine that? Dennis comes out, how do I do it? Oh, you poor devil, you didn't get it. See, it, it just, just doesn't work. I said, so Major, I need more. He said, well, just tell him very simply this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. There it is. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. Everything to Him. Don't lean on your own wisdom, your own plans, your own goals, your own strength. Don't trust yourself. And then when you do that, in all your ways, entrust them to Him. Father, i got to do this task. I, I, I need you to do it. And He will direct your path. It's that simple. You say, well, Frank, I, I still don't get it. It's okay. I want to help you out. Let me put it to you this way. Live your life in the conscious presence of Jesus Christ. Nobody ever did this better than Bill Gillum. So we're going to steal this illustration from Dr. Bill. It's as simple as cooking eggs. My bride, let's say, likes sunny-side-up eggs every morning. If she doesn't get her sunny-side-up egg, we're in deep trouble. 
Ruins the day. So I get up in the morning. I got to go cook those sunny side up eggs. Here we go. Oh, broke the yolk. We're in for a bad day. The world says what? Failure or success? Failure. God says what? Failure or success? Failure. Why? I had not one thought of God. It's all me. It's all on me. So day two. Got to get up, cook those eggs for Janet. Come over, take the egg. Oh, perfect yolk. Sunny side up. Wonderful. The world says, success or failure? Success. God says, failure. Why? Again, no thought of God. No consciousness of God. Day three. Got to cook these eggs for Janet. Get up, crack the egg. Open. Perfect yolk. world says, success. Wait a minute, I blew that illustration, didn't I? See, I told you nobody tells it better than Bill. <laughs> I get up on day three and I say, Father, i got to go cook some eggs for Janet. And uh, she likes perfect uh, sunny-side-up yolks. So, Father, I'm trusting you, and let's go do it. Okay, Lord, here we go. We're going to cook some eggs. Thank you. Perfect yolk! Now we'll go. World says? God says what? Success. Why? Because my method was right. Day four. Father, got to cook these eggs for Janet. I'm trusting you to do this through me. Here we go. We're going to crack these eggs. Let's have a nice sunny side up. Oh, Lord, you broke the yolk. <laughs> Is that how it works? No. Frank broke the yolk. See, I'm responsible when I mess up. But the world now will say what to that egg? Failure. But our God will say what? Success. Because my method is right. See, it's not always going to look successful. The success is in the method. And the method is faith. And how often are we to live by faith? Always. Always. It's a life that's just lived in the conscious presence of God. And you can do this whatever you do. You, Dana, you cut hair. Well, Father, I'm cutting this hair, trusting you to give a good haircut here. Thank you, Lord. Whoops, snip that one. Got to give them a little shorter today than they usually get. See? And that's success. It's trusting God. You need to do that when you're driving on the interstate. Or you're really going to be walking in sin. Right? You're a lawyer. You're an attorney, John. That's what you do. You walk, Father, I got this case today. Trusting you to express through me your life as I defend my case. Changing diapers, for crying out loud. Lord, you know diapers, so I'm going to trust you as I change these things. And see what it does, my friends? It elevates every aspect of your life into the glory of the presence of God. Do you realize that brushing your teeth is a righteous thing to do? Let me just change that. Brushing your teeth can be a righteous thing to do. Thank you, Father. You even gave me the teeth. I'm getting older. <laughs> you know, it might not be there. Thank you that I have them. See, it's just a life lived in the presence of God. It's, it's just so very simple. What is the problem? The problem, my friends, is that we are so fantastically created that we tend to face it out with God only when there's a need. There is just so much in this life that we can handle. Can you handle changing a diaper by yourself, Renee? Yeah, man, it's just easy. Now, Lottie couldn't, but, but you could, see? This is the way it is. We can handle driving the car. We can handle the attorney business. You know what I'm saying? We can handle preaching sermons for a lot of people. And see, I've done that. See, in our flesh. We're just so fantastic that we tend to not face it out unless there's need. And we can do so much that looks successful, but it's not. Let me tell you something, my friends. I was really ministered to this week being at home. 
I really was having to work out of the home because I plugged Morgan and Avery into a video so that I could go sit at the kitchen table and work. Well, I happened to come walking through the living room as the video was playing, and it was an old salty video. Anybody remember those salty videos, Maranatha? Well, in this particular one, as I was walking through the living room, I heard complaining. Little kids on the video, Ah, we're tired. We want to go home. I want to call my mom. And, you know, you hear complaining as a parent. You say, Huh, I can relate to that. See, you hear these things. See, well, I'm walking through, and I still haven't clued in yet. But then little old Salty, apparently what they were doing was they were on a hike, and they're climbing a mountain. And Salty said this, Oh, kids, listen. Listen, please. This is very important. When you climb a mountain, you don't have to trust God to climb the mountain. Now, how many of you know that got my attention? I can put it on the overhead for you. When you climb a mountain, you don't have to trust God to climb the mountain. What in the world is he saying? Well, I listened. You know what he said? Marvelous. All you have to do is trust God one step at a time. That's how you climb the mountain. My friends, that is so very important for you and I to understand. You don't climb a mountain in one step. That really ministered to me with what the Friedman family has had to go through these last couple of years. You know, it's an insurmountable task. And Janet and I have made it through that not by looking at the insurmountable task. We've made it by getting up in the day and saying, okay, God, here's another day. And we're going to trust you for what? today and that's how you do it and some of you have got some insurmountable tasks maybe some of you have a job and you hate the job and you don't see any way out of the job you don't try to climb that mountain in one step you go to the job and you take it what one step at a time some of you have a wide world of sports marriage thrill of victory and a lot of agony of defeat And you're looking at that marriage saying, how can this ever work? You don't climb the mountain all in one step, dear people. You take it one step at a time and you trust God for the day. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Every day has enough trouble of its own. And all you can take care of is what? Today. But you spend time worrying about tomorrow, you're never going to be able to live today. Because your eyes are on tomorrow instead of on Jesus. Does that make sense? It's glorious, glorious truth. But there was some deception there. You know where the deception was? Did you hear what Salty said? When you climb the mountain, you trust God one step at a time. Did you hear the deception? Do you trust God only when you climb the mountain? (laughs) See, that's where the deception lies. You trust God even when there is no mountain. I have had people come to me in this last stretch of a couple of years. and Some of them have said something like this, Boy, Frank, you and Janet have really had to trust God. And I have said back to them, Yeah, just the same way you're supposed to every day also. And I haven't said that to be mean. I've said it to You just got that, Richard. That's good. (laughs) That's great, man. That is exciting. Thank you, Father, for revealing that to Richard. And that's true, brother, because you've got some tough things to go through, don't you? But you don't have to look at the rest of life and say, how am I ever going to make this? 
It's just one step at a time. And the people that I've said that to, I haven't been mean in saying that. I've been doing it to make them think. And you know what they said? Thank you, Frank. Thank you for reminding me. I need to trust God right now, day by day, the same way you and Janet are. You know what? In reality, my friends, this is actually a gift from God because it's easier for us to trust day by day because we have to. The deception is you have to too. It's just that there may be not be a mountain right now. See that? This is what the manna was all about. Remember the nation of Israel with the manna? It was training independence. Did you hear I said that? It wasn't training independence. What was it training? It was a training in dependence. The nation of Israel had been without intimate contact with God for 400 plus years. So for a lot of years, he let them learn how to depend upon God. Every day, what did they get? Manna. What happened to manna at the end of every day? It's gone. It's spoiled. Why did God do that? You know why? I know what you're like. See, John, I know what you're like. You know what you'd have done? You'd have stored up all that manna and sold it for a profit. <laughs> Called upon God in about a year from now when you ran out of money. All right, Lord, send some more manna. So this is what we want to do. We want to store up grace. We want to store up Christ. You can't do it like that. You and I are like a plug-in electrical appliance. You unplug it, there isn't nothing there. And this is what God was teaching the nation of Israel. Training in dependence. It's trusting Christ for all of life. Look at this. This is so good. An anonymous writer said this. Faith is, not, is best measured in the things we can handle, not in the things we can't handle. Boy, that's a write-down. You're living by faith. How well you're doing is best measured in the things you can handle. Do you experience and see Christ in all that you're doing? Or is it that you can handle life so well you don't need Him? That's a heavy word. That is a heavy word. Zechariah 4 put it this way. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. Isn't that right? Let me give you an illustration of this. It was first taught by David Needham. It's a great illustration. Again, I hate it when I have to steal other people's illustrations because they always tell them better than I do. But David Needham put it this way. He says, you know, I'm a tennis buff and I always wanted to play tennis. In fact, I had a dream I'd go to Wimbledon. Now, I'm independently wealthy, you see, so I can hire the best of the best to teach me how to play tennis. I hired Jimmy Connors, now this is fiction, mind you, as my own personal trainer for a year. See, it cost me a million dollars. Well, Jimmy worked with me for a year, teaching me how to play tennis. But at the end of the year, what did Jimmy say? David, it just isn't going to work, sir. You're not going to Wimbledon. You're mediocre at best. You just don't have the tools, the bod, the resources to be a Wimbledon tennis champ. Make sense? However, I do have all the tools. Now, I'll tell you what we'll do. I love you. I've come to love you. This, all this time we spent together there's a little zipper right back here in the hairline most people don't know it's there but there is there's a zipper back there and, and we'll just unzip you and I'll just climb inside and, and I'll play tennis through you see and you just trust me to do that when you step out there to the tennis court and I'll do it for you and, and, and we'll pull it off hear it we'll pull it off so sure enough, they're out there and Jimmy's playing through him and man, he's hitting some lobs and some smashes and some serves and man, the guy starts winning tennis matches and pretty soon he finds himself at Wimbledon. But under the pressure, you know, he falls behind and, and he starts to take over and, and Jimmy says, you know, 
forespin. And, and David says, no, backspin. See? And he's losing. And he's losing match after match after match at Wimbledon. And so finally he calls a timeout and he says, God, what are you doing? Uh, Jimmy, what are you doing? And he says, I'm not doing anything. The problem is you're playing tennis. And you don't know how to play tennis. Why don't you get out of the way and let me play tennis? Now, how many of you know that that is hard to do? People say to me all the time when I teach this message, oh, you just teach easy believism. Man, you don't have a clue what living by faith is. It is difficult, difficult, difficult to say no to all of your resources and, and thinking you can pull off the Christian life and trust Christ. Don't you see how this applies to Christian life? God came inside of you, Lottie, not so you could keep living the Christian life. Because you can't. You don't have the tools. You don't have the tools, Harry. If Christy were here, she'd be saying amen. None of us has the tools. That's why he came inside. But we keep trying to live it, and we can't. I think it's kind of ironic that David Needham used Jimmy Connors, because you know what his initials are? Yeah, J.C. Isn't that interesting? Oh, let's wrap this up. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I would want to add one to that, not by mind. See, that's really what the church is doing today. We gain knowledge, and we become dependent on the knowledge. And we think that's enough. And may I say to you, my friends, and please tune in here. If you've been out fishing, worrying about the rain, whatever else, please tune in here, because this is where the rubber meets the road. This right here is the greatest danger to this church. Is living by mind. You see, what we've done here in this church now for about eight years is taught you the new covenant. And many of you have learned new vocabulary. You've learned new doctrine. I've been crucified with Christ. I am righteous in Christ. I am seated in the heavenlies. Christ in me. The exchanged life. See? And my great fear is that we've learned new vocabulary and we've got new doctrine, but there's no life. Let me put it to you this way. Knowing is not living. How many of you know that you can have the doctrine and not live it? I was a shining example of that this week under the pressure. And I reamed my kids one day out of frustration. And it was hard. And I tell you, I said some things off my lips that I wouldn't even say to my enemies. You ever do that with your babes? For all that I know, doctrine, there was no life. That's because you can abide in Christ and not abide in Christ. Say, what? That's for two weeks. You can receive the truth and not live it. Turn to Romans 5 and we're going to end here. Many of you will remember this passage. We taught it. For four weeks, one single verse taught for four weeks because it was so powerful. Romans 5, verse 17. 
If by one man's offense death reigned by the one, so there it is, death in Adam, that's all of us, that's how we all start. But, much more than the death of Adam, those who receive, key word, receive what? The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Can you receive the message of righteousness and grace and reign in life? No. Absolutely not. I'm the shining example this week in my family. Have I received the gift of righteousness? You better believe it. Have I received the abundance of grace in my life? You better believe it. But I didn't live like it. My friends, listen. Please, please listen. There is only one warning against the message of the New Covenant taught in the book of Galatians. There are warnings and warnings and warnings and warnings throughout the New Testament against legalism and bondage. Good night, there's an entire book written on it, Galatians. But there's only one warning to those who have received the truth. And this is what it is. Listen, please. Do not use your liberty to justify your flesh. Do not use your freedom. Do not use the message of the life of Christ in self-deception to justify the way you live. And let me tell you, it's happening. It's happening. I see it across this country. There is a great wave of momentum of the New Covenant message. Ten years ago, when God opened my eyes to it and I started to teach it, there weren't many people teaching it. There was Malcolm Smith. There was Major Ian Thomas. There was Dr. Charles Stanley. But there wasn't much beyond that. Today you turn on the radio. You go into Christian bookstores. And man, this message is out there. It's everywhere. Did you hear what I just said? The message is everywhere. But I don't see the life. Not corresponding to the level of the message. And we will do it, my friends. I heard somebody recently say this to me. I have to drink alcohol to keep from slipping back into the bondage of legalism. That's tragic. You don't have to drink alcohol to to keep from slipping back into bondage. Hey, if you want to drink before your God and you claim it as all things good and you do it in balance, as an example of balance, fine. Oh, this tape is really going to make some people mad. <laughs> but don't sit here and use the new covenant to justify it. And don't... Because that's a sin. But I hear it in statements like this. I'm free to divorce. I don't have to give anymore. I don't have to tithe anymore. I don't have to serve anymore. I've been set free. I don't need anyone to teach me anything. I have God. Then why did God give you pastors and teachers? Why did God give you the body of Christ? Yes, He gives you Himself, but He gives you Himself within the context of giving Himself to you through the body of Christ as well. And there is a great danger of self-deception. 
and the worst pride of all called New Covenant pride. I have gotten to the point recently, in fact, Tim was with me recently at a conference, and I actually have been, I've been telling people this. Please don't tell anybody that you, you understand the New Covenant until you begin to live it. Because what do we all want to do as soon as we hear the message? Did you know, Debbie, that you got crucified in Christ? I got crucified in Christ? And you've been resurrected? I've been resurrected? I never understood that before. I always thought that Jesus died for me. I didn't understand that I died too. I, I always thought I was going to be resurrected in the future. I didn't know I was resurrected now. I didn't know I was seated in there. Boy, I can't wait to go straighten these people out. See? This is instantly what we want to do. We want to go tell everybody. And you know what I've started doing? I'm saying, well, you know what? Don't do that. Please, please don't do that. Because if the life doesn't back it up, and all you're telling those people is that you've got some new doctrine. And my doctrine is better than your doctrine. See? And you'll become more dangerous than you were before. Because the new covenant is a more powerful message. How many of you know that? That's biblical. Second Corinthians chapter 3. As glorious as the old covenant was, the new covenant is more glorious. But if the life of love is not there, shut up. If the mercy and the kindness and the gentleness are not there, don't sit there and argue for something that's not a reality in your life. And this is what's happening, my friends. There is a great wave of this new covenant message without the corresponding power. And it is not by mind, it is not by knowledge, it is by the life of Jesus. And that's why I like Romans 5.17. Can we look at it? If by one man's offense death reign, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by, there's the key word, dia in the Greek, through, it's instrumentative, the one Jesus Christ. I am so glad that God put that there. My friends, please, please, please. If He didn't put that there, do you realize what I could do? I've received grace and I've received righteousness and now I'll go reign in life. Uh Uh-uh. He put the final phrase, through the one Jesus Christ. I don't live by doctrine. Not even the doctrine of the new covenant. I live by a person who makes those doctrines real to me as he expresses his life through me. Does that make sense? Please, please, please hear that. Don't walk out of here with that. Without that. Without the final phrase, through the one Jesus Christ, then all we've got is good doctrine. And I want you to know good doctrine is not enough. I proved that this week with my babies. I ministered death to them as I was failing to abide in the living Christ. And all my knowledge of grace and righteousness did not provide the power to give the patience that they needed. You see it? We're about Jesus. Or just like Jesus said, we've got nothing. Father, thank you for your word. A little convicting sometimes, but boy, what a word. We need you. May you show every one of us that we need you, not just in the mountains of our lives, but in every day of our life. Every moment, we need you to live through us. It's the glory of the new covenant. You've come to do that. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. My friend.